Welcome to the Ministry 127 podcast, brought to you by Lancaster Baptist Church and Pastor Paul Chapel. This podcast is entitled Mentoring Young Men in Ministry with Pastor Dave Hardy. Pastor Hardy pastored the Eastland Baptist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma for 30 years and now travels around the country encouraging and mentoring churches and pastors. To me, mentoring is developing a mindset to carry out God's plan, God's way through the local church. Now, mentoring is not a Bible word, uh, but it certainly is a biblical concept. It's more of an informal relationship such as Jesus had with the disciples uh, rather than a formal classroom setting that many of us would be familiar with. And the word mentor was inspired, as I think you probably already know, by Homer's Odyssey. When Odysseus went off to war and left the keeping of his son Telemachus, in the hands of his trusted friend, whose name was Mentor. So in my mind, if we look back that way uh, and think about this uh, ancient tale, that even then they saw mentoring as primarily a responsibility of a father. And the father was going to be gone. He would not have communication. So if you're gone you don't have communication, you really can't do it. And so he trusted that great responsibility to his friend mentor, we get that word, then to a great degree, then mentoring, if it's done right, should be fathering, should it not? I mean, that's what he left mentor to do, was to fill in for him in that respect. And so I think probably the first person in our lives we want to try to mentor are our own children. And how can it get better? If you turn back, just well, it's just one page in my Bible, and this text has already been mentioned in First Timothy chapter three, verses one through seven. But I'm looking primarily at verse four: one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. And then after that, of course, in verse five, in parentheses, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? And then goes on to say, not a novice. Uh, if I remember right, when I was taking grammar so many years ago, that parenthesis there is for a, an extended explanation, a more clear explanation, but to get the meaning of the flow, you take it out. And if you take it out, then you find that one that doesn't rule his own house well is a novice. So certainly, that needs to begin at home. And uh, my son is here, and I have the privilege to be a member of his church. I, that's a privilege most of the time. I don't always enjoy him being in authority, but that kind of goes with it. But I enjoy being a father, and I enjoy having grandchildren. And, of course, grandchildren are our gift for not killing our own. So I'm glad, you know, to be there. We have three. I cannot help but mention something about one of them. Samuel is the second oldest, and he's uh, really involved in the bus ministry and he visits every Saturday, but here some months ago, he's, just, he's a little guy, some months ago, on Sunday, they were picking up kids, and he, so he runs to the door on Sunday. He jumps off the bus, he runs on the door, up to the door, he knocks on the door, so he ran up to this house, and someone had a handwritten note on the door that says, not going to church, got the H1N1 flu. So he ran back to the bus and yelled up to the driver, they're not going today, they've been coming down with the hiney flu. (laughs) Slow coming. 1 Timothy 3, in verses 1 through 7, is invaluable and unequaled. 
in its succinct description of how to lead our homes. And you say, we're talking about mentoring. Well, I know we are, but if you remember, this mentor word comes from, uh, you know, this Greek tale, which was entrusting to someone else to do the work of a father. And I want to say that most homes are not doing it. And they're not exercising, uh, you know, this Bible truth like they should. How many people would you have in your church now if all of those who are members of your church who have been there for years, if their children were all there faithful in attendance and the grandchildren were all there and faithful in attendance? Well, I have an idea. You'd probably have a lot more than you have now. I know that would be true at Eastland Baptist Church, although I was glad that in one family we had four generations when I left, and that's a wonderful thing. I think today that uh, we like to kind of um, pass the buck on uh, raising children. I remember talking to a pastor way out east a number of years ago, and by the time his children were about 13 and 14, they just were uncontrollable. And he said, you know, I was just ready to throw up my hands and quit about everything until I understood the Hebrew uh, idea of bar mitzah, and he said, I believe that, and once they pass 12 years of age, they are adults, and I'm no longer responsible. And whatever they do really has no reflection on me. I couldn't help but think that maybe Hophni and Phineas could have been a little bit older than 12 or 13, and God had a lot to say about that, didn't he? As a matter of Eli paid, you know, a high price for that. So mentoring in ministry terms is more than instruction or coaching. Instruction is probably the dissemination of information. Coaching is probably skill building, but it has more to do with that. It is literally, and I'm going to use the word again, a mindset. Now, if you could turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2 just for a moment. Verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man, and here it is, like-minded, who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. And by the way, again, the church is Jesus Christ. We're not the most important thing there. The church itself is the most important thing there. Verse 22, but you know the proof of him that as, here it is, as a son with the father, he has served me with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently as soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Can you say how important it is to get that same mindset? Surely many of us could say about a preacher friend, he's a good brother and he's straight on the doctrine and so forth, but you may not would want him to be the one to follow you in your church. And if someone said, does he have the same mindset that you have about ministry? And that maybe would not be true. But that's what Paul was looking for in Timothy. And I think this is a good model for us. And I believe mindset is the closest word that I can come up with what we'd want to do. It's very dangerous when that mindset changes. And by the way, many times when we see someone with the wrong mindset and we're wondering how they got that or where they got it, it could be that they are more accurate with the mindset of the person who mentored them or was in that place than that person said that they were. In other words, even preachers are not always what they claim to be. You have to see how they 
carry out their ministries for a while and the people that do come, you know, from their ministry. I'm reminded of the story of Karl Marx. And I know many of you know that. He came from a very religious family and uh, from a Jewish family. And, of course, he had a lot of questions when he was young. Uh, but the thing that really got him or the straw that broke the camel's back, so he would say, is when they moved to another town which was predominantly Lutheran, and his father announced to the family, we'll no longer be Jewish. We're going to be Lutheran now. And he questioned his father and said, why are we doing this? And he said, because I'm a businessman, and it'll be better for my business if I'm Lutheran. Now, this really messed his mind up an awful lot. And so that's when he kind of moved from believing that man is homo sapien or man the wise, the one that gets his knowledge from God, to homo faber or fabric or fabrication or the maker and kind of moving from a theological type mindset here for one that is materially based. And so we have the communist manifesto to a degree because a father did not have a set mindset and the son picked up on that. Now, mentoring is a big word in the secular world now. As a matter of fact, when I flew out here on the airplane, I just happened to be looking at the USA Today, and there was an article right there on mentoring. Um, The military is involved in, and some of these people make up to $440 an hour. Just think how fortunate you are if you're a mentor. (laughs) Big money here. Now, Jean Monet said, nothing is possible without men. Nothing is lasting without institutions. Uh, I have a kind of a personal position that you may not have in this sense, that I believe all real truth is God's truth. Someone reads something and say, well, this is the first time uh, that ever was mentioned, and it's a Bible principle. And I'll say, no, that's not the first time it was mentioned. And even if someone who is not godly uses genuine truth, somehow, some way, it, it comes from somebody who probably was godly. But when you think about nothing happens without a man and nothing is lasting without an institution, is that Bible or what? God always called his man, but he also instituted the church. Nothing's going to happen without a man. There's never going to be a church without a man. But when that man passes on, if you don't have the church and those who are not connected with the local church, that work to a great degree is dead. It is gone. And that's the reason I mentioned we should have a mindset, uh, develop a mindset, do God's plan, uh, God's way through uh, the local church. Now, in secular circles... I think maybe they have about uh, four definitions. One of them would be a cloning method of mentoring, uh, where the mentor tries to reproduce a copy of himself. Maybe nurturing is kind of more like a family situation. A friendship idea where peers mentor each other, and I know we do that. And an apprenticeship where the relationship gives way to the actual work itself. I'm going to say that what we do encompasses all of those. I don't think you'll ever have a greater degree of mentoring than you have with an older pastor or an older man in the ministry and a younger one if it is literally done the way it should be done. It encompasses them all, but I really think maybe that the cloning method is the closest one to what we do. And let me say this. Of course, this can only, and I'm going to emphasize only, this can only be possible to the degree that we are clones of Christ. You say, is it not dangerous to clone yourself? I don't know how else to do that. And I mean, there's other things. But again, cloning, I think, kind of rises at the top. Paul said, 
to the Corinthians, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. Doesn't that place a great responsibility on us? Because if we're not trying to follow Christ, what business do we have trying to do any kind of cloning whatsoever? And again, uh, we're not talking about a complete clone. We're talking about encompassing all these other things. Uh, But I think maybe cloning rises to the top. I believe we can see the need for ministry or mentoring in the ministry. It's very apparent. Uh, There are countries all over this church. Excuse me. There are cities all over this country that don't have a church. And I pass them all the time. And you know about them in your state. And we're crying out. We have cities that need a work. And we need someone uh, to come and do it. And then, of course, there's churches all over the place. At one time were strong churches. But now they're market-driven. And uh, leadership has just left the core values that one time made that church a great church. And we're losing them. And then also, we have a number of men that are getting older, like myself, uh, that are in the ministry, and it may be time. I want to be very careful here. I don't think the Bible puts an age on when anybody's got to leave the ministry. We've heard from some people this week, been at it for a long time. I'm, I'm not here to correct or criticize or whatever, but I do want to say that when a graying pastor looks out into a congregation of almost totally graying people, something's not right. I'm sorry. I don't want to offend anyone. But we shouldn't be losing the children of those people. And we shouldn't be losing uh, their grandchildren. But when we see that happening, and a person way up in years, and there's no one in place to step up, something is not right. I don't have statistics, but I wouldn't be surprised that we might be losing more churches than we're starting, that we wouldn't lose if we mentored properly. If we could mentor properly, first of all, they're not going to change and become liberal churches. And there are churches that many of us could mention who at one time were extremely large and strong. They're hardly in existence and some are not in existence. And then there's also uh, some churches that are maybe not large, but the pastor is going to maybe stay until he actually rides that church completely uh, down into the dust. I love to spend my time with the young preachers. You know, it's good for older preachers to hang around young preachers. And it's good for young preachers to hang around old preachers. I, I learn a lot from them. And I enjoy their energy and their mischievousness and all the other things that I remember. I just enjoy that so very much. And we need each other, and we ought to do it. But I think we're failing. So when these young men leave our churches, they go to Bible college, and they go someplace else, don't get disconnected. And I know that you say, well, I'm really busy. Don't you get tired of hearing that word? I don't even like it when I use that word. I try not to use that word too much. I think about in New Testament times where they probably worked from 6 in the morning to 6 at night, 6 days a week, and they didn't use it. But most of the time we're busy because we've chosen the kind of lifestyle that requires that kind of work and that kind of finances. And we wouldn't really have to be that way. One more thought about when I'm sometimes with some of my friends, and of course many of my friends are in my same age category, and I hear a statement like, and I don't bring it up, it's not my business how long you or anybody else stays at your church. 
but many times they'll bring it up. And we'll talk about it a little while, and I'll hear something like, well, I think I'm still good for another year or two. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means our heart's going to beat for another year or two. And I think maybe they mean, I believe I can function well enough to hang on here for a year or two. You know, my closest friend in the ministry preached last night, and he just now stepped out. And unless I didn't hear that sermon right, I think he might still be able to preach. I think he might could have said, I believe I could probably pastor Southwest Baptist Church another year or two or three or four. And so you're thinking, well, why did he make that decision? I think you'll find that in talking with the Lord, God wants him to pass that on to the man he's trained while it's still up here instead of going down. Sometimes you picture a roller coaster and it's all exciting, you know, all the way up the hill and you're on the top. But once it starts going down the other side... And sometimes that happens with churches. What a horrible time to give a church to a young man. Is that it's already down there, and there are a great number here, and they have the job now to try to get things going again. I think that is really tough. I was thinking about this, and all of us again have people in our churches where we have the parents, and we're thinking, where are their children? If their children are not there and they didn't work on it real good, I wonder where they came up with that idea. Is it possible that they have watched preachers live out their life preaching and pastoring and not prepare someone to take their place? Where did they see that modeled? Because we pretty much do what we see and what we experience. Well, just some thoughts as we get going. So into the outline part now if we can. Mentoring first requires a mentor, and I know you say that's a duh, but did you know you can be a pastor or have the title of pastor and not be a mentor? (laughs) Did you know you could have the title of pastor and not be a preacher? Have you ever seen anybody with the title of pastor who wasn't a pastor? It's a great title. I don't think there's one better. I love pastoring Eastland Baptist Church. It's great. But mentoring requires a mentor. And I just want to kind of bring to your thinking, just because you're a pastor does not mean that you are a mentor. You might be one, but it doesn't mean you are. And, of course, there must be an appreciation of the responsibility. I mean, it is quite a responsibility. And we've already spoken about the Odyssey and so forth here. The mentor is dealing with a life, a mind, an eternal soul, and not an inanimate object. And that people are custom-made, like Matthew 25, with the talents. God gave to every man according to his several ability, and we need to pay attention to that. Uh, B, there must be an examination of self. We need to look at ourselves before we take that kind of responsibility for someone else. Uh, are we doing this uh, in keeping with God's plan, or... Is this a continuation of Bible doctrine uh, for core values and a philosophy of ministry? And what is there about our personal journey that suggests we have something to offer? I'm not talking about perfection. God knows none of us can do that, but there ought to be something about where you started. I'm kind of glad that I grew up in a poor home. My dad had a third-rate education, for the most part couldn't read. 
And I don't want to spend time on that, but it was real tough after World War II. I was born during World War II, and there was really nothing. And no one in our family had ever finished high school, much less going to college. I'm kind of glad for that because I can say to some young man who's struggling, I understand a little bit what you're going through. And so you need to look back and say, there were some times that were really hard. I had to try to break a mold in order to get someplace. And so we need to say there's something, you know, that we can see in our lives. And are we willing to pay the price and stay the course of a mentor? Because it's going to be expensive. Being a friend or a mentor is expensive. And not just in money, but in everything you probably have. But it's extremely rewarding. There's nothing like it in the world. And, of course, number two, mentoring requires a mentee. And you can say protege here if you want to. I kind of like the first one point. Every young man is not a mentee or a protege. All the young men, even those that come to Bible college, they dress good, they look sharp. That doesn't mean they're really a servant-spirited person. And I'm just saying you just can't pick anybody and do a good job as a mentor. You better be careful because they're going to go away and carry your name as the one who trained them. And I realize they're free moral agents and they can do what they want, but we need to be paying attention to that. And there must be a mutual interest, point A here, a mutual interest in each other. If you don't like this kid, don't start trying to mentor him. (laughs) And if he doesn't like you, it is not going to work. Uh, The mentor and mentee must see something of value in each other. And there's a number of young men here that came through Eastland Baptist Church. And I've enjoyed them, every single one of them. There must be um, a similar metal in their makeup. It says iron sharpens iron. It doesn't say lead sharpens iron or copper sharpens iron. It says iron sharpens iron. You know, magnets only pick up metal of, of their kind. I love reading about Joshua and Caleb. Because here's two men that, first of all, the best I can tell, come together because they wound up being... Uh, you know, leaders of their tribes and then spies and so forth. But these men were of a similar metal and they just grew uh, together. And that may be a mentoring process sometimes that friends have with themselves. It happens, but with that younger man, that needs to be there. And the mentee must place a high value on being mentored. Uh, That young person's got to realize uh, this man has spent a long time getting where he is. And like a student who pays tuition, he should bring something to the table. In other words, if you're a young man and you want to be mentored, don't go to a, to a Paul Chapel or a Sam Davison or one of these preachers and expect them to spend hours with you and you walk away and say, huh, that's interesting. And you don't implement any of it. If you do it that way, they shouldn't see you the second time. It takes you a long time to get there. They should never feel like they're wasting their time. I think in point three, there must be a form or a degree of cloning. The mentee must experience to a degree. No one can experience exactly what we have experienced, but they need to experience to a degree what the mentor experienced. I know you've heard these two statements. I've heard them almost in the same breath. You have it right there. I don't know what's wrong with this generation. And then the same parents say, but I don't want my kids to have it the way I had it. Is that crazy or what? I hate to tell you this, but you and I are the product of the experiences we had. Now, W.A. Criswell, and I loved reading after him. I realize he's Southern Baptist, but I enjoy reading after W.A. Criswell. 
And you know, in his latter years, in the books he wrote, he was a fairly wealthy man, but he said one of God's very greatest gifts to me was to grow up in poverty. And he said, I've appreciated everything that's ever come my way. Sometimes we give children everything and then wonder, why are they like this? That young person on the staff, I mean, you don't, shouldn't starve them to death and you shouldn't kill them, but they need to know the ministry is not a place just to lay around. It's a great place to be lazy if you want to, but it will not work. And don't allow it to happen. Yeah. He's not going to build a church that way. The mentee must be fully exposed to his mentor as a person. And those you have to be real with them. Don't act like you've never got a problem and you're on top of everything all the time. I had a friend that had a map of the world taped under the bottom of his chair so he could sit and say he was sitting on top of the world all the time. I guess it's a good positive statement. I had a pastor friend who had an electric train. It went around his desk. I came over one day and he was lying on his desk and looking at it and it was going. I said, why are you doing it? And he said, I just want to have one thing. I don't have to push or pull. The mentor must reveal his thinking process. And I know we're going to run out of time here, but um, that guides him from you. Let him hear who God is and what he is. Tozer says the single most important thing you can know about a man is what comes into his mind when he thinks about God. If everybody had the right thoughts about God, we wouldn't probably even have to have a spiritual leadership conference. And what comes into your mind? And sometimes ours hasn't matured out, has it? What a wonderful thought to get us thinking. And a brief of God's basic plan. Almost every, I guess every factory produces some kind of a product. I mean, GM plant turns out General Motors and Ford, Fords and all those kind of things. And have you ever thought about the fact that the universe will only turn out one product? And that's a people for God. I mean, this whole place is here so that mankind has a place to live while the gospel is preached. And when it has been preached and those who have chosen to receive him are called out, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. That's the only product. We're in the most fantastic business there is. It's the whole business and the product of the universe. We can kind of walk around and there may be some philosophers say, I don't know why we're here on this puny mud heap spinning in infinite space. You can say, well, I know why we're here. This is all here for me. And not to say it the wrong way, but it is here for us. I know we don't think about it sometimes, but he was Savior before he was Creator. If you want to just kind of look at, uh, you know, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 again. I didn't look at that verse. But who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which has given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. When you put him here as Creator first, that goes right into the evolutionist's hands, doesn't it? This world was here all the time, and we finally crawled out of the slime pit or something like that. No, sir. God had in his mind a creature in his own image, and he made a world so they'd have a place to live. No, I'm not talking about Calvinism. If the Calvinists just had a big God, if they just had one that was big enough, they would know his sovereignty can handle the free will of man and still get his job done. And he's big. You say, explain that. Nobody can explain it. I'm telling you, he's big. He has to stoop to fit into anybody's language. You know, he's holy. And uh, what does holy mean? It means basically just other than. You say, other than what? I love it. Other than everything, pardon the grammar, there ain't nothing like him. He's one of a kind. We're we're glad. There has to be a program of instruction. And there should be some reading. 
The mentee should be involved in projects. He, he really needs to be involved. Uh, and he, he needs to be right where it's going on. Uh, you don't do it all for him. You give it to him and let him do it. And it should be an environment that requires the mentee to make decisions of his own. And it needs to allow for consequences, good or bad. And you don't pick up, you know, the consequences. Kids now are raised with virtual reality. I feel sorry for them. When I grew up, we didn't have virtual reality. We had reality. <laughs> They've got their little games and all of this. People all die and then they all stand up again. We, down in Texas, we mess with the red ants. And they'll mess with you. Or three or four of us go out to a big hornet's nest with no shirts on and we'd all have sticks and we'd stand on each side and hit it. You know, we'd count the number and then we'd run. The little sweaty back boys about five years old, we paid for that. You can choose to do anything you want to do, but there's consequences. But you know, young people are, are being conditioned, they don't understand that. Because their moms and dad bail them out of everything. And it's not going to put them in good stead when they stay before the Lord. There should be a time of evaluation and coaching. In other words, they need to know if they have a three-month period, six-month period, give them those obligations, those jobs, and so forth, and then there needs to be a time of evaluation. How did it go? Two great words have already been used this week. Expect and inspect. Keep an eye on everything. You should expect something to happen, and you need to inspect to make sure that it did happen. The mentee needs to know where he is in this process. Talk to them, preachers. Communicate with them. And the mentee needs to be affirmed as he progresses. Well, however long we live, and I don't know how long that'll be, life will still be short. And all that most people leave behind them is a will. And all that will do is distribute your junk. And the only way you can leave part of yourself behind you is to invest in a younger man and help him have the same mindset that you got from God to do the work that you're doing. Thank you for listening to the Ministry 127 podcast. This lesson was entitled Mentoring Young Men in Ministry with Pastor Dave Hardy. This podcast was designed to equip spiritual leaders to grow in the Word and develop a biblical philosophy of ministry for today's local church. Be sure to let a friend know about ministry127.com. Also, for Christ-honoring publications, please visit strivingtogether.com for resources that encourage spiritual growth and the local church ministry. Thank you for listening to this Ministry 127 podcast.